We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com B-E. I don't think you can pay people enough to teach and be happy. So let me give you this example. If I gave every teacher $100,000 a year, they'd be really happy for a while. But if I didn't change the working conditions, they would not be happy two years from now because at some point, how much money you make isn't the most important thing. Dr. Chris Jones here and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thoughtful dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Today, I'm speaking with John Carippo. He's an educator, author, and speaker. John shares, speaks, and leads educational professional learning for educators internationally. John has been named a County Teacher of the Year, 2019 Top 100 Educational Influencer, an MBSA 20 to Watch Educator, an Apple Distinguished Educator, and Google Certified Innovator. John is the co-author of the Edu Protocol Field Guide and the Edu Protocol Field Guide Book 2, both of which were Amazon number one bestsellers, and he was the contributor to the Edu Protocol's Math Edition, which was another Amazon bestseller. John recently wrote the conclusion for the number one bestseller, 100 Stop Series First Edition. I have a copy of this book. It's the 100 No-Nonsense Things That All Teachers Should Stop Doing. John created the Q Rockstar Series, Rockstar Teacher, Admin, and Specialty Events. And as the former Chief Academic Officer and Executive Director of Q, led and designed highly effective professional learning for over 60,000 educators over the last six years. John has over 17 years in the classroom, as well as site, admin, and county assistant superintendent experience. I, you know, just listening to his bio, I bet all the listeners can understand how excited I am that when I reached out to John, he came on the show. So welcome, John. Gonna, I thought you were going to say you were tired. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 not yet. Not, after you give us all the, some of the wisdom that you have um, and experience you have, maybe I'll be a little tired, but more excited than anything. So good. I, I appreciate you coming on. You bet. And it's, I'm happy to join. And, um, you know, I never, uh, teaching is actually a second career for me, actually a third career. My degree is originally in advertising. And uh, my wife was a teacher and I, I was helping her make lesson plans because she had to teach a history class and she doesn't know anything about history. And I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. So I was putting things together for little projects for her and uh, it sounded fun. And then we were at the age where um, 
We ended up at all of these weddings with her assistant, Soup, who was her former high school cheerleading coach. And he he and I were like the only two guys at the table while the girls are all dancing. So we started talking about teaching. And he said, you should do this. And literally the second or third day, I was like, oh my God, this is what I do. Like my whole life has been getting me ready to do this. So if anybody was listening to that list of things, know that I didn't, you know, I wasn't some... 23 year old that said, I'm going to dominate the world. I just, I just, I I love the Disney quote. You know, I think it's at the end of Meet the Robinsons that says, you know, we're curious. We're, and and then that just causes us to open new doors. And I just kept being really curious. I guess there's a Ted Lasso in there too, right? Like be curious, not judgmental. And I just keep doing things that make me curious and people see them and they go, okay, would you share that with my friends? And it just kind of keeps going and going and going. And I'm just going to continue to pursue that rabbit hole as long as I can. That's fantastic. The idea, you know, there's a lot of teachers out there and leaders that are second career folks or even third career folks. And yeah, I say that with a little bit of a smile because education is a second career for me as well. Well, and I find that, and I'm, I'm not trying to be judgmental because I just said, don't be judgmental. But my experience <laughs> is that people who have, done another career besides teaching have a slightly different perspective in terms of what the big picture is. So like if a person just said, I want to be a teacher when they were a freshman in college and then just took teaching classes and then just went straight into the profession, they can be really good. I'm not saying that, you know, it's not a good, bad thing. But I I think that people who've done other things see school with a broader lens, maybe a different empathy lens. Notice I didn't say better but like different. And the first time I really realized that was I I had actually done construction for a while. And um, I came out of uh, construction and did some other things. And I was sitting there on a Friday, and we were doing a rally, and it was a beautiful day. And um, the two other guy teachers I was standing to were very annoyed, because they were like, you know, this is God, we're watching these kids every Friday do these assemblies. You know, I can't believe I do this. And I was like, I used to be digging ditches this time of day. I love getting paid to go to assemblies. So that just that little perspective piece that really matters, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. There are plenty of times where I was a coppersmith. And so I did a lot of copper cornice work and stuff like that. And boy, you're out in the sun during the summer. And in the winter, I had ice in my beard. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's a whole new thing when I when I sit there and say, yeah, I could be doing this other thing. So it's it's it comes from I have to what it does is that little change in perspective I find anyways, is that it changes it from I have to do this to I get to do this. Yep. Yep. That's one of my favorite quotes from a friend of mine by the name of Vaughn Gwynn. And she says, don't forget, you don't have to teach, you get to. And I think that's such a critical, it is an honor to be able to teach. And sometimes we lose track uh, in the day-to-day busyness. And and I'll be the first one to say this teaching is a hard job. It is a hard job. It is a physically demanding job. It is a grind. And um, anybody who doesn't know that um, is probably a person who has not been in the classroom. But if you've been in the classroom, and and I think we can get to that in a minute. I went back to the classroom full-time last year. It's a, it's a physically hard job. But uh, I'm going to share another quote from a friend of mine that's a I know a, a general. He wasn't a general when I met him. He was a major, but now he's a general. And he taught me this phrase, pain is mandatory. Misery is optional. And I love that because it honors what a grind teaching is. It's a physical uh, job to be, you know, out on the playground in the cold, 
to be riding buses at two in the morning from field trips, to be getting up at three in the morning for track meets, waking up Saturday morning and going, oh my God, I still got to put on that that science festival next week. So my weekend's going to be busy. But there's got to be an element of joy and purpose. Otherwise, now it's 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 not pain anymore. It's misery. And, and it's really a fine line. It's a fine line, but I think understanding the difference is critical. So, okay. The first thing I want to ask is, what's your friend's name that's the general? So I can put his name on that uh, quote. General David Hall. General David Hall. Mm-hmm. So, which leads me to the second thing. So I do want to talk about, we, we spoke pre-show about you just went back into the classroom. Yeah. This year, so you have, you have a specific perspective on supporting, engaging, and empowering teachers for leaders that it's important to hear. But one of the things I want to ask you before that is the whole pain is mandatory, misery is optional is perfect, right? That when we think about it, and draw that fine line. How do leaders get that message across to teachers, especially, you know, when they're down and out, when they're tired, when they're stressed out, is there a way that leaders can, can help teachers understand that or adopt that mindset? Well, I think really the first part is, um, I, and I don't know who said this quote, I'm gonna throw a lot of quotes at you. (laughs) That's all right. But, uh, I, I heard an administrator somewhere, uh, in a, in a keynote say, the, the, the principal really cannot do the work of teaching, but they can set the temperature in the room. They're the thermostat, right? And, and I think it all kind of starts with that kind of mindset for administrators is setting the tone. And I think the piece that was really valuable for me last year was that when I went back to the classroom, um, when I went back to the classroom, I, I was a 57-year-old first-year teacher. I had not been in the classroom for about seven years, which is not a long time, but it's not the same as you know being in a continuous deployment. And I will tell you that there were multiple times last year where the, the person that I was serving under as a, as a principal really struggled with being happy about being at work. And, and I think that's critical for principals that we have to... If, uh, Chris, if, do you have a crazy uncle? That's a super happy dude. Like every time at Thanksgiving, that guy shows up and the jokes are flowing and he's back slapping everybody. Do you know anybody like that? You know what? I can think of somebody like that. Yeah. Not necessarily an uncle, but I can think of somebody like that. So the, the trick is that person, uh, how about this? The old phrase lights up a room. Yeah. The principal's job has got to be to light up the room. And they've got to set a tone. Uh, when I played football at Fresno State, uh, one of our coaches every day, ritualistically would step out onto the field and yell, it's a great day in the valley. Dude, it was 108 degrees. (laughs) But guess what got shoved down our throat every day? It is a great day in the valley. And and then it's also important that there's got to be a lot of uh, sincerity there because you're just right on the edge of toxic positivity. So that's a really... You know, the more common thing, and I've been seeing this on TikTok like crazy from teachers. Uh, the, the school district told us to be aware of self-care. So they put us in a four-hour PD about SEL. That's not what I need. The school district told us about self-care. They gave us a pencil and a cookie and then told us we had to do online training. So, you know, last year I got to see administration after having been a principal at a high school, after having been an assistant superintendent, after having been an executive director, the tables got flipped on me. And so I was able to notice some of those subtleties. But like, here's a couple of examples. Our principal last year in California, the big question is, are we going to do state tests? 
are we going to do state tests? So when you're in the teacher's lounge and talking informally with teachers, are we going to do the test or not? And one thing I was able to see there uh, in some conversations I had, because he and I had been friends before, I worked underneath him. He was wanting to be vague on purpose about whether he was going to choose the state test or the local test. California, in a move of brilliance last year, said, if you want to do the state test, you can. But if you want to do a commercially viable local test, that's fine. So like iReady or Renaissance. Well, he kept that vague until two days before the test, which meant none of us were able to prepare for either scenario. And I think he was doing that, not out of being mean, but I think he was trying to set up a scenario where we would all have a question mark in our head and push the kids as hard as they, as we could. But what he didn't realize was as the recipient of that, I didn't know what to push for. Am I pushing for the two-day mandatory heavy-duty state test or am I pushing for this other test? So even on format, he was creating confusion. So what finally happens is, on a Friday, it gets announced from the school, yes, we're doing this, and we start on Tuesday. So now everybody has their lesson plans already done. So those are those little subtleties. I think it comes from not teaching with uh, the mindset of the teachers are part of the package. It comes from a us-them mentality. So I've got to keep those simple-minded people in the dark so that they just slavishly keep doing their thing. And I will reveal to them what the vision is. But when you do that on the Thursday or Friday, and then the first day of the testing is on a Tuesday, you're creating all kinds of chaos, which then gets pushed down to the kids. Is that a kind of a good scenario? Yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely a, a good scenario about how it is the little things. And, you know, the more people I talk to on this show, it, it, it is about the little things. It's about the little subtleties that we don't necessarily think of, which, so we've teased it over and over again, the idea that you went back in the classroom this past year. So talk to us a little bit about maybe what precipitated that. And I don't know if you're going back in the classroom again next year, or if you're going back into a principal role, but lessons learned, advice you can give along those lines. Well, what precipitated was I was uh, I was the executive director for a large nonprofit in California, Nevada. We had about 27,000 members and I was in charge of putting on uh, a 7,000 person event every year uh, um, and then another event that was about 1,000 people and then running a bunch of PD. And through just a series of events, I ended up as the executive director. I originally came on board. I wanted to be the director of PD because that's what I dig. I dig teaching teachers how to do pedagogy. And I just ended up being uh, the executive director. And I did that for about a year. And then I said, I'm not sure I want to do this for the next (laughs) until I retire. And so I don't know if it was God talking to me or what, but I just had this vision. I was headed back from Australia. It was like two in the morning in the plane. And I said, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going to go back to the classroom. I'm going to, I'm going to demote myself. So, um, I did, and I taught sixth grade for the whole year last year. And so I was very mindful about what is the transition from coming back from admin to being in the classroom. And it was it was an incredibly powerful experience. And now going forward, I'm going to use that experience for the next decade or so until I retire 
to make sure that I'm on point with what teachers need in a modern classroom. And, and you know, I already was there. I had a Palm Pilot one-to-one classroom, Chris. I was <laughs> really? forward thinking before it was forward thinking. Yeah, I had kids that were making web pages when we didn't have the internet in our classroom. We were using Claris HTML generator <laughs> to make web pages and burn them to a, a CD-ROM. So, I mean, I've been forward thinking for a while, but what's going on with kids is changing because of social media. Kids have a lot more access they're more sophisticated. And uh, I really wanted to test out some of the protocols. And I ended up making about four or five new ones. Going forward, I'm going to be doing Edge protocols full time now. And it was just a magnificent transition for me. And, and just so many great things happen. But I think for the purpose of this conversation, I learned a lot about what it's like to be a teacher and, and know what the other side of the coin is. Another good example is when it was time for evaluations, I was proactive and I contacted my principal and I said, uh, hey, what are you looking for in the evaluation? I'm not afraid of being evaluated. Let me have it. And he said, you know, just do your thing. And I really was taken aback by that because I'm like, do your thing lacks clarity. Do you want a Madeline Hunter 7 element lesson? Do you want PBL? Um, do you want a really good lecture? followed up by an effective writing of a path, uh, an essay. What, what, and he was unable to articulate to me what success looked like. And that made me realize that there's really a huge pandemic between teachers and admins. What do you want to see out of my evaluation? And so I think for me, what I've always observed is people are Googling lesson plans or looking on Teachers Pay Teachers and then offering up some lesson plan and they hope that the the principal buys it. And I think, wow, that is a really broken artificial scenario. So um, I think like with the Edge of Protocols approach, you would say, hey, boss, we're doing some Iron Chef on ancient Greece and you should be looking for four Cs. You should be looking for creativity. You should notice that my kids are really good at this and I have to hardly explain anything. Those are the things I want you to be the look for. And then as a principal, if you're using Edge Protocols, you could say, hey, I'd love it if everybody did something with Iron Chef this quarter. And now as a principal, you have a, the ability to see different skill levels within a singular lesson plan. So you're not seeing like clay volcanoes over here and rap songs about ellipses over here and counting M&Ms in second grade. There's a, there's a, a kind of a framework to it that's also not constricting. So that was another one of my big takeaways is that what we're doing on evaluations is really broken. So that's, I mean, that's a really good point because, and I, I want to get back to the whole idea of evaluating and coaching and things like that. But what I'm hearing you say is clarity is king, right? Clarity yeah. rules the day. Yeah. Well, because in the absence of clarity, adults who are creative and smart will create their own realities. And then you have paranoia kicking in. And we all know how toxic that can be, right? So the idea that um, that we can all be truly pulling together in a transparent way is incredibly powerful and not often emphasized in many of the schools I work in. Yeah. Well, pulling together in a clearly transparent way that's, I mean, that's a perfect bridge to what I was just going to say about the whole evaluation thing. I mean, you know, where you talk about the evaluation system being broken, for lack of a better term, and just not very healthy for anybody involved, really. Yeah, but, I mean, would you agree when your boss says oh, it's time for evaluation, a chill runs down your back? And here's the really sad part, Chris. 
How many teachers get released for a bad evaluation? Not that many. More are going to get released for things like comes to work late every day, leaves early every day, doesn't do their grades, uh, bad parent management. Very few teachers are going to get let go because of an evaluation because everybody knows if it goes bad, you can redo it. We all know that. So there's all this trauma uh, PTSD built up about evaluations. And in the end, principals aren't getting what they're wanting because they're getting an artificial view of what's going on. I'm so glad you said that because people very rarely, like you said, I agree, I'm on board 100% with what you said. People very rarely get released due to a bad bad evaluation. And, I'll, and I'll, I can tell you why, or at least I can give you my opinion as to why that is is because the evaluations aren't done in such a way that the administrator is confident there's, standing up there's and no saying, way to prove that this right, is incompetent right? right you could say i right. don't like it but it's all it's all varying degrees like right. how bad would an evaluation have to be to get fired because of the evaluation right and then it's going to be really bad that evaluation only has to be bad it's got to be bad for two years in a row yeah and that's based on what the structure is where you are what state you are and things like that but i mean that's a whole that's a you whole other party. You, you got another three hours. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the idea of evaluation and usefulness. That. Yeah. Yeah. So, but now, and, and this has to do with what I was going to say. So teachers, this is part of the leaders too. Leaders should be in classrooms every day. I know people say that and walk through. Look, I'm in classrooms all the time. I've got times blocked out. I, you know, I do short walkthroughs. I get formative assessment, things like that, um, or formative feedback, I should say. But why the need? knowing what we know about teachers not getting dismissed for bad evaluations and things like that, typically. Why the need for the game? I mean, if a teacher takes a lesson plan from Teacher Pay Teachers or whatever, Google's lesson plan, offers it up to the administrator and hopes that flies, it's kind of like, you know, the old college stories about, hey, I wrote a paper and I know the professor didn't read it, so I put a, I put a cooking recipe on page yeah. seven and they never even mentioned it. They never even noticed it, yep. Yeah. There's, there's a huge honesty issue there, right? That gap between what's being done. I want to see what's being done every day. That's where I also had an epiphany about four years ago that when we're doing the uh, the evaluations, you should not be looking at the teacher at all. Right. Think about that for a second. What the teacher is doing doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is how hard the kids are working on completing the lesson plan. So some teachers will be funny, some teachers will be quiet, some teachers will be too loud, some teachers will be in between, but I'm not grading the teacher. I'm grading the teacher's ability to design lessons and execute them. And you know what? We've all seen this. You've got a Robin Williams character who the kids eat out of their hand and the, the banter is alive and there's great mixing. A lot of times those teachers will be less capable in terms of the academic piece, not always, but it's it's common. And then other times you'll see a teacher who's very quiet, never talks all year, and you walk into their classroom and it's just humming along. And so my vision is, how can we create a Venn diagram where the, the, uh, the highly engaging teacher is also highly productive and academic, and that the teacher that is the quieter teacher is also engaging. And I think when you look at it, you really want to look at things like the four C's to get that going. Because, you know, if you don't have kids ever talking to each other during class, how do you build a classroom culture of everything has to go through me? And so I think that there's a, there's a lot going on with evaluations that is illustrative. I like to say that once in a while. Illustrative 
it's it's really I think the genesis of where the, a lot of the tension begins because teachers don't believe that principals know what they really do and principals don't trust what teachers really do and right there you've got the 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 makings of of discord just like that which is why it's so important to hold a different mindset for both parties when they go in but it's it's so funny that you mentioned that and not funny haha but ironic because I actually get into conversations with myself in a classroom sometimes because if I have a teacher in a subject that's interesting or a topic that's interesting that I see, I actually have to talk to myself, okay, stop looking at how the teacher's delivering this and right. look at what the students that's are doing in the classroom. So it is, what right. the kids make is all that matters. And, it, and it's so true because I, I think to myself, you know, every once in a while I'll catch myself and I'll say, okay, so now I could have been doing that for 15 seconds. I need to spend a little more time in the classroom. And it's important for leaders to interact with the kids as well. You know, there's always that worry about, oh, you're going to mess up the lesson or anything like that. But I love going to students and interacting with them and asking them about what they're learning and how they realize they learned it. And I, I almost enjoy when they look at me and say, oh, well, I take a test on it because that's a whole other conversation that opens up with the kid. Well, let me give you a four example of a, of a, a, a principal that gets it. Ready for this? Two, I'll give you two examples. Uh, this is what the district I work with and I've been working with them for about two years and they were already great principals. I just gave them a few little wrinkles. It's like, I like to use food analogies. It's a macaroni and cheese. Like everybody loves it. Vegans <laughs> You're singing like my macaroni, song now. Right. But you put a little bacon on it and it's a slightly different party. You put some lump crab on it. It's a slightly different party. You switch it to a white sauce and you add some uh, chipotle to it. It's a different party. So these are already good administrators. But check this out. I've got, I, I know a principal who I've been working with. He is doing the school rules by going class to class and doing them in Book It and having the kids play the school rules two or three times until they are above 90% passing. And he's walking around and engaging them. What's better than that or trucking everybody in the gym and telling them to be quiet? What's better? I know another principal in that same district. She's using quizzes and look it with parents to teach them about how her kids learn in her school. So what does that say to teachers? It says, I get you guys. What does it say to parents? It says, I have a plan. We're modern and we're contemporary and we get it. So I think... Those little small examples are critical because you're not continuing to do the, I'm going to stand in front of the room and tell you guys why I'm so smart routine. And that's just really not getting us to where we want to go academically. That's perfect because I see teachers doing that. We have a bunch of teachers doing that with Kahoot and they run games and things like that to explain those little things. You know, you talked about getting it for teachers. You talked about different, or you touched on a little bit of edge protocols and we talked about clarity and evaluation and stuff like that. I do want to ask you about the idea of what your vision of what school should look like for teachers and students. But first, I want to hear from our sponsors real quick. And when we come back, we'll hit on that. Today's podcast is brought to you by Better Leaders, Better Schools, the place out-of-the-box leaders in education turn to to grow their leadership skills. Maybe you're interested in making better decisions, creating your idea week, or building a world-class culture. Learn more at betterleadersbetterschools.com. That's betterleadersbetterschools.com. I use Anchor to distribute the Seeing to Lead podcast because I find it to be the best tool to suit my busy schedule. 
Anchor has everything I need all in one place, offers hands-free distribution to everywhere podcasts are heard, and is free to use. I can use anywhere from some to all of its features based on what I need at the time. On top of all that, you can be mobile, recording, editing, and distributing all right from your phone. You can also easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So go download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. All right, and we're back with John, and and we have kind of hit the gamut with evaluations and um, clarity and talked a little bit about John's experience moving back into the classroom after seven years out of the classroom. And um, by the way, I love your mac and cheese analogy, so that's that's really good. But I got more. I got hot dog <laughs> you, analogies, coffee you got analogies those all day long. I can do that all day. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, you, you just threw another quote. You didn't even realize it. Probably you just threw out Captain America's quote. Oh, I didn't know that one. <laughs> the um, coming back into this, so you've got a lot of this stuff swirling around, and you've got a lot of experience. Ideally, in in your viewpoint, what should schools? Because you've mentioned schools of the future a couple of times. What should schools look like or the school experience for students and teachers? Well, that's really easy. That is really easy. And I'm going to say something that might be considered blasphemy in some circles, but I'm going to say it. I'm going to go ahead and say it. Give it a run. Let it rip. School has gotten too academic. I want you to look at, if you're a teacher or an administrator listening to this, I want you to look at your state assessment and ask yourself, is this what people need to be able to graduate? Or is this some kind of weird college prep? Because if you look at the sample quizzes in fourth and fifth grade in California, it is crazy hard. I literally did two questions on the math sample and I had to stop. (laughs) That is is crazy. So one thing is, uh, so school is too academic, meaning we've continued to raise the bar. So when you see in the newspaper, our kids aren't passing, it's because the test is insanely hard. These kids can all read. They just can't read that. They can do math. They just can't do that math. So you have to understand how difficult the questions the kids are getting in third and fourth grade. That's why they don't pass. Now, here's the thing, Chris. What's the economic outcome of kids not passing? We need more assessments. Will you sell us some more assessments? Will you sell us leveled books? Will you sell us district assessments? You guys, there's no money in kids passing. There's no money in kids passing. If I was king of the world, I would move all the assessments up two grades. So like the fifth graders are now be taking the third grade test. You would see scores skyrocket. In fact, here's a good little fun thing for you in California, Chris, because I used to be an assistant soup and I heard this at the California Department of Ed. There's a range of scores you can call passing on the Common Core. There's a range. California artificially picked the highest possible score of passing because the logic was that kids will grow to meet that. Yeah, unless it's developmentally inappropriate, (laughs) then what's going to happen is they're just going to get madder and madder. Over the last five years, scores have been stalled in California. Meanwhile, at the same time, Texas and New York picked what? The lowest possible passing, and their scores look much better. So an outsider could say California sucks at school, and what are they doing in in New York and Texas is better? It's the exact same test. We just picked a lower passing. And, And I think this is important. School wasn't built to send everybody to college. School was built to create 
an economic pathway so that every kid could participate at the level they wanted. That's my one thing that we could do a whole separate show on. The other piece is, I saw a blog post about two years ago, and the title was, after teaching for two years in Finland, I returned to the United States and I couldn't believe how mean-spirited school was. School in the United States is impersonal and it's mean, and I don't know why. And yet, when you go out into the public, what do you see? A huge lack of empathy, road rage, people beating each other up. Okay, so I just went to India last week. I could not believe how chill everybody was. Everybody was like, hi, sorry, hello, nice to meet you. Hey, I don't speak English, where's the food? I speak English, it's food right over there. It was so chill. It was so chill. And people would do the thing with their hands together, yeah. which is in the, on the US side, this is like, uh, I'm saying I surrender to you, right? I surrender. I'm, I'm okay with being peaceful by putting my two hands together. I got back to America and I'm like, everybody's pushy here. What's going on? So I would love to see it if schools could please include the idea of empathy. Yeah. Um, because God, if we can't get the scores to go up, we can at least raise people that are kind, can't we? Can't we raise people that are empathetic? But yet you'll hear teachers say things like this, middle school's hard, so I'm going to have to do this to you this year. Why am I ruling this year for next year? That makes no sense. And I, I've seen that played out in classrooms all over the place. So those are my two big wishes. Is One is let's get an assessment going that makes sense so that teachers aren't stressed out. And then the second one is let's get some empathy going. Now I'm going to go far out on you. I'd like to see four-day school week as a federal uh, guideline, at least a recommendation. And here's why. You can't get the job done in the hours given the way it is. So visualize this. It would be a three-day weekend for kids every weekend. Now, some people might be going, well, John, what about less fortunate families? This is easy. First of all, you have to remember, if you tell kids that school on Friday is optional, uh, attendance is going to plummet. They will find other things to do. They will be fine. I know this because we opened a, a high school. We started at 9 a.m. And a lot of people were worried. How will kids get to school if their parents are already at work? Dude, they were fine. <laughs> they they started forming um, rideshare groups. They got themselves to school at nine and they were fine. But visualize this, Chris, four days a week, we hit it hard with kids. We hit it hard. And let's say we go eight to four every day, but then the kids are off Friday. Now the teachers can get together every Friday. They could do PD, they can collaborate. They can be in a less environmental place because what people don't understand about teaching is you're on stage. You can't go to the bathroom. You can't eat. You got to keep the machine moving. You're basically a performer for six hours a day. And you get done and you go like this. I just need to sit here for a while. <laughs> I'm too tired to drive home. And people don't know that. So imagine Fridays would be PD and all those. Now, if there are kids, and because I know there will be neighborhoods that'll vary greatly. If there are kids that need to be watched on Fridays, we can have sports tournaments. We can have STEM camps. We can have PE. There's all kinds of things we can do with the kids on Friday. And what you can do is pay a couple of teachers a rotating stipend to cover Fridays. Or if your aides are available, listen, all your aides can be running that stuff with the guidance of another person. And then my last big crazy idea for teaching is, especially at the high school level, high school sports need to be divorced from school. And I'm going to tell you why. Some people might be saying, oh my God, but my only kid only likes to go to school because of sports. That's a problem. <laughs> if your kid only likes school because of sports, that's a problem. 
The other thing I want to throw out there, though, is having been a high school principal, there's not enough time in the day to pedagogically lead that group of teachers. And then you have to know that if you're a principal, you're spending between 20 and 45% of your day dealing with athletic controversies, athletic events, athletic scheduling, um, hiring and firing coaches and ADs. It sucks up way too much time for principals who wouldn't have enough time without sports. So I'm not saying get rid of school sports. I'm just saying divorce it. So treat all school sports like club sports. Every high school would still have teams. It just wouldn't be an academic function. And if you think this wouldn't work, look at any travel sport you want to. Hockey, soccer, volleyball, they're all fine. They're fine. And then then we can focus on making school more interesting. Because if, if kids are literally only coming to school because they like sports, we are doing school wrong. I'll pause. I just went on a rant there. <laughs> that's, Come back that's at me. Dude, <laughs> I don't want you to slip and fall off your soapbox there. <laughs> <laughs> I can break my hip or something. <laughs> no, they, you know, a lot of what you said, 100%, you know, the idea of the four-day week, I, and I'm, I'm going to come back at you with this on the four-day week. If done right, I don't think attendance would drop off and kids wouldn't show up on Friday because what you do is you take the idea of 20% time and yeah. you rotate those yeah. teachers through when you, you have, them have do lab time, lessons. reading yeah. clubs, yeah. theme. There's plenty of and, things you could do and, with that Friday time. Plenty. And, and what would happen is, and, and I'd, I'd be willing to bet any amount of money on this, what would happen is if you did that, you'd build interest and then you would not only get the kids flocking in to do these things, you would get the teachers that rotate through, start to look at how they work on Monday through Thursday with the lessons at mm-hmm. teaching differently because they notice the level of engagement on Friday. And there's always so only so far that, well, they want to be here goes. You know, yep. when you talk about yep. kids in electives and things like that, well, you're lucky because they want to be in your class yep. and things like that. So, Well, I, I want to I depart with that for a second, though. I've taught film. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there's nothing more depressing than the first day of class, having literally half of your class say, I don't even know why I'm in this class. Because yeah. <laughs> it was extra and it fit. Yeah. You're welcome. And then, and then you start assigning projects. You know what they say? I thought this was a fun class. Yeah. <laughs> well, it doesn't mean we're just going to sit around all year. And so shout out to my electives teachers. Yep. The academic side doesn't always understand how intense it can be for the electives teachers because check this out. If you teach music or film or something like that and kids quit being interested in your class, your job is going away. So if you want to talk about high stakes, oh, that'll do it. That will definitely do it for high stakes. So shout out, like I said, shout out to my electives people. It's just as intense to be teaching a quote non-academic class because your failure is public if you don't win the film festival, your class disappears if people don't like it. And it's just a whole other kind of stress. Oh, I'm not, I'm not saying that they work any less. Um, Perfect example is you walk into any culinary class, like we have a, we have a culinary program and to watch what they're going through and what they're teaching and what the kids are required to do. That's harder than some of the academic classes. Right. And creating a sense of, we've got to do this with a class that's full of kids who are saying, I don't know why I'm in this class. That's true teaching. That is the mastery of breathing life. And we all know somebody like that, a welding teacher, an auto teacher, who can get those kids to get up at four in the morning to go to to a competition for no reason. And so shout out to those people. 
And I would, I would 100% agree with you on the idea. It's not blasphemy. School has gotten too academic. I'm actually taking my school to move towards more education. Yeah. And I'm not saying don't be academic. What I'm saying is, is do fourth graders really need to learn more than arithmetic? Right. I don't know that we need to teach them algebra because what we're happening is we're, we're a mile wide and inch deep, right? So a friend of mine, his wife grew up in Malaysia. Listen to this, Chris. And this is why I like doing research. Dig this. She told me that in first grade, all they did was addition. But at the end of first grade, they can add, uh, add and subtract anything, including decimals. Guess what they did in second grade? Could it be? Subtraction. Yeah. Third grade. Yeah. So imagine third grade is just a million reps of addition, subtraction, word form, number sense. You own those. Fourth grade, you add in division. In fifth grade, she she said, you know what we could do in fifth grade? I go, what? She goes, anything we wanted. Because they could do the calculations. So I think sometimes we get really ahead of ourselves on this stuff. And it's like, you guys, just, just have the kids good at. Like if I had sixth graders come in last year that could write a sentence, write a paragraph, and do all their times tables and fractions, I could have gone so much farther. But we never teach to mastery. Well, I was going to say that's the whole idea of teaching to mastery. And if you want to get into the equity argument and the gaps and things like that, that would handle that. You'd have so much less would disparity it be between a lack people. of equity. Right. Yeah. Well, let me let me jump over to the edge of protocol side a little bit here. So so I've come up with a pedagogical concept over the last 20 years that we call edge of protocols. And they're free. They don't cost anything. If you go on Twitter, you can see people sharing them like crazy. They're on uh, mm-hmm. Facebook. There's a if you want to put this in the uh, in the show notes, it's called Ampower Adventure with ease. Ampower Adventure. Yep. And we've got teachers in there helping each other get better at teaching by doing these kinds of activities. And last year in my class, Chris, I had a student, I had four teachers tell me, now I'm a new teacher on campus, they barely know who I am. And they walk up to me in the hallway and say these words, oh, you've got got that guy. He won't work for you. He doesn't work for anybody. (laughs) And I'm like, wow, way to not predispose anybody. Well, that guy was a SPED student and that guy grew 54 points in math for me. That guy did 129 questions on his um, Latin roots final and the test only had 40 questions. He just kept going in GIMKit and he did it over and over again. So is that guy really not willing to work or is he not willing to work on what you give him? That's that subtlety. That's that tough question to ask. Mm-hmm. So we're getting, and, and I definitely will put that in the show notes, we're getting towards the end of the podcast and I have two questions for you that I ask every guest. The first one is, and, and this, will, this will be interesting with you because of the different careers and the different movements you've had. Who, not what, would you be if you weren't an educator? Who would I be? Uh, I'd be some kind of life coach uh, or uh, maybe like a yoga dude. Uh, I've got an ex- I've got experience being a football coach, but that that job's too hard. They, they those guys work like 120 hours <laughs> yeah, uh, a do. week. I don't want that. That's too much. I like the idea of leading the kids, though. Oh, you know what else? I think I would be like a camp counselor. And I hope I'm answering the question correctly. No, that's so. I'll tell you what, let me let me push a little further. Why life coach, yoga dude, or camp counselor? What is it about those? It's the thing that we don't have in teaching right now, which is I want a chill job. 
that involve leading young people. And, you know, in California, Chris, somewhere along the line, we went from 165 days to 180 days. And that was when teaching stopped being a chill job. And I don't think you can pay people enough. I don't think you can pay people enough to teach and be happy. So let me give you this example. If I, if I gave every teacher $100,000 a year, they'd be really happy for a while. But if I didn't change the working conditions, they would not be happy two years from now. Because at some point, how much money you make isn't the most important thing. So my perspective is, yes, let's t- pay the teachers more. I'm not saying teachers are, aren't underpaid. But what if we made the job chill? What if free lunch every day was a thing? What if every three years, you got a free laptop for sure? You didn't have to wonder. You would literally get a voucher in your email. Time for a new laptop. Go to apple.com, put in your code. It'll be here in two days. What if every 10 years, teacher had to take a sabbatical year where they served as a TOSA in their own district or a neighboring district? Do you see how those few little shifts just, oh, what if we stopped having powdered creamer? What if I came in to the teacher's lounge and there was an unlimited supply of almond milk and half and half? Wait what a if, minute. <laughs> but how much does that cost versus how does it create a, the feeling of the situation? Does that have anything to do with your coffee analogy? It does. Because it, it sounds like you got something against powdered creamer. I'm, I'm, uh, yeah. In some <laughs> places, it's actually called whitener, which is even sadder. It's bad enough whitener. to have powdered. Yeah, whitener. I've seen it as whitener. I would not. Like, no, wow. I drink. There's so many levels where whitener in my coffee is wrong. I drink black coffee. But if I ever did drink cream in my coffee, I would never put something that said whitener in it. Yeah, no. <laughs> but yeah, that's the deal. And uh, one quick trivia on coffee. Do you know where the Americano came from? Do you know why it's named that? No. In World War II, American GIs would roll up. You could imagine in Italy how happy they were to see a coffee shop mm. if you'd been out fighting. And they would order a coffee and they would get a doppio espresso and they were like, oh my God, what is that? So the Italian shopkeepers very quickly figured out that if you took an espresso and dumped water in it, the Americans liked that. That's the true story. That's the true story. So here's my point, though. Here's my analogy for teaching. What if you've been teaching Americano the whole time and what you really want is an espresso, but you didn't know that was actually a thing? (laughs) See the little subtlety there? It's just a tiny shift from Americano, which is watered down espresso, to actual espresso, which has been a drink for 300 years in Italy. So that that's the importance of perspective. Sometimes what we think works is not really a thing. Okay. So, so leaders listening to this podcast, because I'm, I'm going to try and pull this off. I don't know if I'm going to, or how much trouble will get into me. <laughs> I'm going to try and explain that because I was lucky enough to go um, live in Italy for a while. And the main part of it was studying history through art. And every morning I would get my dopio espresso because that's just the way I like it. But on the other hand, I'm trying to think of a way I'm running through my head, how I can present that to staff and say, we want to be the doppio espresso, you know, give the little history lesson, but then pour water in it and say, which would you rather have? Or I got Um, another variation. Have you ever had a crazy friend drag you to a restaurant? You know, your friend's like, we got to go to this Thai place or there's a new Mexican place or whatever kind. And you're like, yeah, I like Applebee. I'm fine. And your crazy friend might take you three, four, five months to drag you to that restaurant. And you finally drag to that restaurant and you're not even done with the appetizers. And you're like, oh my God, when are we coming back? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So the better analogy to me is we need to be the crazy friend that drags our friends out for food that's better than Applebee's. And I, Chris, I've worked all over the United States and I've worked in other countries. We're doing a lot of Denny's style lessons and the kids mm. know it, but they don't know that there's a, such a thing as a real espresso. They don't know there's a, such a thing as a bacon wrap date. You can use whatever analogy you want, but nobody knows. They've like, think about it this way. Starbucks starts getting super popular in 1985 1990, right? People in Italy are like, dude, we've had espresso machines for a hundred years. And now you think it's cool? Now you think it's cool? So I think it's in that same vein of like, you just don't know what's possible because you're happily ordering Big Macs instead of going to an In-N-Out burger or a Smash burger. And you just don't, you don't accept that other parallel reality. And we, I think as administrators, you've got to be the crazy friend that takes our friend to to the great restaurant. I think that's really, really key. Okay, everybody, you heard it here first. Be the crazy friend serving up Dopio Espresso (laughs) instead of Cafe Americano. Well, remember the first time you went to, well, you probably were a different experience because you lived in Italy, but almost everybody knows this experience. First time at Starbucks by yourself, you're like internal monologue. Don't say something stupid. Don't look like a newbie. Don't say something stupid. And you're like, um... Uh, and so you see Americano, that must be good. Uh, Americano is small. And then the person at the cashier is like, uh, do you mean tall? And you're like, tall, small, whatever. Just just, or, just make it. Just make yeah, it. Yeah, just put it together. Just, just stop making me the center of attention. Here's my money. Just make it. Well, four months later, five months later, you're going in and you're like, I'll take an almond oat nitro with Jimmy's double whip, 160 degrees. Because you've had time to to ooze into the more. And that's what teachers feel like when they try new things. They feel like that person at Starbucks. They feel exposed and they feel vulnerable. And that's why I teach teachers, if you're going to try something new, do something that only takes 10 minutes and back it up to a recess so that if it's all going bad, you just go, hey, time for recess. (laughs) (laughs) But I see teachers do this where they start like a three-hour project. And I'm like, bro, that is a long three hours if it's not going good. Like it is a long (laughs) three hours. So let's let's wrap this up with um, another piece of advice that you've given so many good things and so many good analogies. Let's wrap it up with this question. What's the most important piece of advice you would give to leaders as they work to better support, engage, and empower their educators? Let me think about that one. I would say, first of all, I, and I believe this when I was a building leader, the building leader is the head educator. Your job is not spreadsheets or state reports. That is an ancillary task. But I know a lot of administrators who are super good at doing the reports, and so it's easy to live there. That's not your job. A good administrator should be able to bop into any class, demonstrate what they called withitness in my classroom experience, and they should be able to help teachers break down lesson design and, um, and classroom engagement models. Okay. If you can't do those things, please don't become an administrator. Because if you think you become an administrator to wear a suit and send really cool reports to the district office, it's going to be a long 20 years of administering, a really long 20. The second one is that administrators need to do their due diligence in terms of researching outside of education. Um, Most educators have only educated. And so you need to research things. There's like, I'll give you a couple of free books right now. Well, not, I don't know if they're all free. The first one's called Exploiting Chaos by Jeremy Gutchie. It is a fabulous treatise on how people make things go viral. 
Chris, who needs to make things go viral more than principals? Right. Nobody. Right. Okay. The next thing is um, there's a book called, uh, it's by a guy named Malcolm Gladwell. Gee, I, I think I've heard of him somewhere before. Yeah. <laughs> Outliers is really, really good it's a great for, um, for educational purposes of understanding how those things work. So they're, but they're outside of education. And then my third book to read uh, is The End of Average by Todd Rose, who dropped out of college twice and now is a Harvard level researcher. And he explains that the bell curve is actually racist in origin. The bell curve was built in Britain so that they could throw kids out of university without bad feelings or prevent them from entering. So I, when I read it, I was like, I don't want to be part of that. I I don't want to, that's not my job as a seventh or eighth grade teacher to tell kids their future is this or that. My job is to make those kids be the best they can be of whatever that is. And my example, I give my sixth graders, somebody invented dog loops and they're rich. <laughs> Every Walmart in America has a dog loop in the pet department. Whoever did that is making bank. And I guarantee you, if they would have said, I'm going to invent dog loops in their senior class in English, people would have been like, you're a goofball. But who's laughing now? The yeah. dog loop guy. Yeah. The, I guarantee you the dog loop guy is laughing. Riding jet skis and parasailing somewhere. <laughs> Vacationing yeah. and letting other people do all the work. Yes. So I think those are some of those key elements for me is, you know, school is essentially a human activity. And so if, if, uh, if administrators are not interacting with their teachers uh, on their humanity, why are we doing it? And if teachers aren't increasing the humanity in the classroom, you should probably not do it because that's the job. I'll tell you, uh, this might be a good wrap up point. I had an epiphany was that when I was meeting my kids last year and I told them that I would be at some of their weddings. Sixth graders had a little bit of a freak out on that. I said, I, I, I will be at some of your weddings someday. I will, I will meet your kids at Target one of these days, 10, 12, 15 years from now. And they were really starting to lose it. And then I said, I may even adopt one of you because I have. And that's the advantage of having a teacher who's been doing this for 25 years. I know what the long run looks like. And I'm going to treat you guys with the respect that that long run deserves. So that when I run into you in Target someday, 15 years from now, I don't have to do this. Oh my God, I remember when I yelled at him. I don't want to be embarrassed about the way we interacted 20 years from now. And you'll never hear me say, I can't wait to get through this year because we're all in it together. It's my year and it's your year. Let's enjoy it. Let's have a good time learning. I'm going to share everything I can and I'm going to help you make you be the best you can be. And that was pretty powerful. No better place to leave that. That's you were you were dead on with with that's a good point to leave it on. It's a long ways from don't smile till Christmas, would you say? Uh, It's it's where we need to be instead of don't smile till Christmas. Yeah, because all that's going to get you is a lot of parent meetings. It's not going to go well. (laughs) So talk to us, John. How do we get in touch with you? How do people get in touch with you if uh, they want to reach out? Um, well, I'm pretty persuasive. I'm pretty ubiquitous. Jay Carippo at, uh, on Twitter, at Jay Carippo, one R, two Ps. Uh, Jay Carippo at Gmail, uh, if you want to email me, um, at Jay Carippo on TikTok. And then, Check you out. Uh, yeah, and then uh, oh, I've got a whopping 500 followers, but I'm getting there. And then um, <laughs> uh, the Empower Adventure Facebook page, Empower Adventure. And it's a private Facebook page for teachers. But I'll tell you what, people have been going absolutely bonkers. And the last thing is I offer free lifetime tech support. So if anybody wants to try some of this, but they're not sure, you can email me on a Saturday or a Sunday or 
late night. If I don't want to answer, I won't. <laughs> Usually I do though, because I love it's teaching. So perfect. Well, thanks, John. I really appreciate you coming on today. It was as exciting as I had hoped it'd be and as informative. I've got so many questions that I'll definitely be reaching out to you beyond this, just about some of the things that you were talking about. So thank you. I really appreciate you coming on. You bet. It was great to meet you. And I'm looking forward to maybe in six months, we get back together and do phase two of this. That'd be awesome. Sold. I'll put it in my calendar now so it comes around. I love it. All right. Thanks, John. You bet. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you'd like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at drcsjones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Learn more at drcsjones.blog. Continue to improve and go have a successful week. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com B-E.